Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode number 54. Holy moly, guys, our sleep course is live. Awake Kiddos Snoozy Parent is ready for you to snag it right now. The first 25 people to snag this course get $50 off. That's right, 50 bones. And this course is lifetime access to literally everything that's in my brain about sleep and my years of experience and everything that you will need to navigate sleep for your kiddos four months and beyond. So there's a newborn sleep guide available on our snoozy shop that is an awesome pair with this. But this course can serve you through all the ages and stages to come, daylight savings time, all the sleep challenges that we see. So head on over, snoozy shop on our website, seedandso.org, to snag this sleep course today. Again, you have lifetime access, so you can snag it today and use it for years or kiddos to come. It is an awesome alternative to a sleep consult if that is out of your budget. When you get the sleep course, you get access to all eight modules and a private Facebook community with Rachel and I, where we support you along the way in this journey and answer questions. You also get all of the guides from the snoozy shop, totaling $132 worth of materials, all yours free with the course. So go snag it now. You can thank me later when you're rested and feeling like a whole new person. All right, now on to today's episode. Today, I got to hang out with my pal Barb from First Latch. I followed her Instagram journey for a while and just love how she shows up in the world. Barb is an IBCLC. For those of you who are like, what are those letters? Uh, She's a lactation consultant and has created this amazing community around breastfeeding support. And I got to pick her brain. You guys submitted questions from folks who are pregnant now to folks who have older children, and we got to answer all of them on air. We also dove into the hot hashtag fed is best and our thoughts and feelings around this. This is a juicy one, and I'm super jazzed about it. So let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell.
Hey everyone, welcome to Voices of Your Village. Today I'm here with Manu Pal Barb. She's an IBCLC and she runs First Latch, which you, if you are not following over on the gram, you should be. And also has her own podcast and all the things. So hey Barb, how are you? Hi, I am great. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background? Yeah, so my name is Barb, and I am a registered nurse. Um, I've been a pediatric nurse for close to 12 years now, and then just recently certified this year, 2000, well, 2018 now, um, as an IBCLC. I live in Michigan with my family, uh, my husband, and three boys, um, still all pretty young, ages three, almost three, five and seven. And I have just recently started working as an IBCLC doing e-consultations, but have been kind of in the, um, the Instagram world for a couple years now when I just randomly started this Instagram account called First Latch. And that kind of turned into something like far, far more than I ever could have imagined. And I am just passionate about helping breastfeeding mothers, raising my family. And I'm really in the thick of that like young, early childhood age right now with my family. That's awesome. So we have a lot of questions from our (laughs) listeners today. I put out the word breastfeeding and everyone was like, ooh, me. So let's dive into some of these. Uh, I got a lot of questions about newborns. I think, honestly, on, on our podcast, I haven't done a whole lot covering the newborn phase, so I'm excited to, to chat about this with you. So the first question was, what is normal for a newborn? And that same person asked, and when will my milk come in? She's pregnant okay. right now. Oh, good. So pregnancy is a perfect time to talk to mothers about breastfeeding and newborns because... It's one of my biggest um, my biggest things I would like moms to know is that they definitely should be getting some sort of prenatal education about breastfeeding before the baby comes. And this could be anywhere from like an online course to just for me personally, I bought the book. My favorite book is The Womenly Art of Breastfeeding. And I just like devoured the first few chapters in that book before I had my first son. And so prenatal education really is going to kind of pave those first few days and weeks because to be honest, whether you give birth in a birth center, a hospital, or even a um, have a home birth and you have a midwife, there is not somebody that is sitting next to you 24 hours a day helping you. So it's really important that you have some sort of knowledge about what is normal which can be a wide range of things with a newborn, as we know. But the short of it is, um, if I could do a quick blurb about it, would be that um, babies, newborn babies, feed very, very frequently, anywhere from every hour to every two hours. Um, In the very beginning, you know, you really would like babies to feed at a minimum of every three hours. And that is to kind of kick in that transition from your early milk, which I call colostrum, into the um, getting more mature milk, which is like a transitional 
um, process. So a lot of mothers talk about the idea that their milk is coming in. I like to say their milk is transitioning because when a baby is born, you're even making colostrum, which is that first um, milk that's like really packed with nutrients and immune properties and, and everything you can possibly think of. And it also helps the babies get rid of that meconium. It's a really amazing, amazing thing colostrum is. And so that is the early, like the first milk I like to tell moms. And they have that during the end of their pregnancy, they start producing that. So that transitions into mature milk or um, what moms think as their milk coming in. So I like to explain to moms that their milk, it's like a transition. I love that. I never thought of it like that. And I think that helps kind of tweak the idea. I've heard a lot of folks who are like, ooh, is this enough for them when, they're, when, it, when it is just colostrum at the beginning? And that idea of like, oh, it's not in yet, so are they getting enough? But I like the idea of it transitioning because I can really like change that mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So the next question is, do I wake this kid to feed? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So my answer for a newborn is yes, you wake your newborn up to feed. The really important thing is, is that we, what we look for to make sure that babies are getting enough in the beginning is they, we want to make sure that they are having wet and poopy diapers. So um, in the beginning, we, this is an easy way to think of it. Day one, you want one poopy diaper and you want one urine pee diaper. And so that continues. Day two is too poopy, too wet until you get to about day five. Um, And at that point, we like to see babies start to gaining weight because babies will lose weight in the beginning. And then after that, we like to start seeing babies gain weight after about day five. So we do want babies to wake up to feed because really that is also what we call the calibration stage of our milk production. So frequent milk removal and stimulation at the breast is going to give you both the adequate output and intake for the baby, but also the proper stimulation for your breast to ensure that you have a abundant milk supply um, when that baby really needs it. So yes, until they are about back up to birth weight um, and having no issues with jaundice, I like to say, yes, wake that baby. How often are you saying wake that baby? Um, I don't, I would like to see babies wake about every three hours when they're newborns, if they're, if they're not. Um, But we, but you can say a rough number of anywhere from eight to 12 to 14 times in 24 hours. Okay. That's helpful to know. And then one of the things that uh, one of our moms brought up was pediatricians and this focus on weight gain and was wondering like, isn't every kid different? Uh, Is what should I really be measuring and paying attention to, to know if our, my kiddo is gaining enough weight, if they are growing and developing kind of why does the number matter seem to be the question. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that the number matters, you know, the doctors have to have some sort of mode of measurement. And of course they do get really hung up on those, those numbers and the charts. And it can be really hard for a first time mom because they, you know, they want to meet these goals. They want their babies to be gaining weight and they don't know exactly 
which charts should they be using, which charts should they not be using, because there are a couple different charts that doctors can use for um, measuring weight gain. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the beginning, weight gain is telling us, is baby getting enough milk? That's really where we, like, the proof is in that pudding. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like the best indicator of how breastfeeding is going is weight gain. Okay. Um, so once babies are gaining weight and past their birth weight and we and when we have them on some sort of curve it's okay if they're not 80th percentile 100 percentile mm-hmm. <laughs> but we want to see them following s- some sort of own curve we don't want them dropping off of a curve right that makes uh, sense when i my i have twin niece and nephew emerson and spencer and spencer was born just over 7 pounds and emerson was 3 pounds 14 ounces and healthy, she was in the NICU for like two days and then went home with her brother, just tiny. And so her, essentially what the pediatrician told my sister-in-law was that they're going to be on two different curves and that's fine. Like we're not looking for them to weigh the same amount or whatever. We just need to see that she's increasing on her own curve. Like she might never go above the fifth percentile. And I'm going to tell you, this girl's five and a half now, and she probably isn't above the fifth percentile. She's a little twig uh, and is healthy and growing and developing and thriving. But, uh, but they wanted to see that she was continuing to grow and develop and gain, again, on her own curve, not on her brother's. A lot of times you can just look at a baby, even if they're not gaining what you know doctors say they should be you know, you can see them having a lot of subcutaneous fat. You can see like rolls on their wrists. You can see like little rolls in their legs. Um, Are they meeting their developmental milestones? Those are also really important things to look at. Yeah, I think that's that's huge. All right. So you talked about this like supply and demand idea, essentially that like the more we're feeding them, the more our body is kind of pulling at and saying, oh, we need more supply to meet their demand. Uh, is that true kind of across the board that if we are feeding them more, our body will make what they need? I had one parent who was saying as a working parent now, she's like, now I'm on like a pumping schedule where I don't have this baby on my body all day anymore. Like I did when we were at home together. And so can my body keep up with where we had been if I'm on this pumping schedule? Like is my demand essentially, or my supply set to his demand already? Right. So um, I like to say, if you can make some milk, you can make more milk. Mm. (laughs) Um, So yes, it is very much supply and demand. So, and that, but, but with a caveat, if you have a baby that is nursing well, Mm. so if you have a baby, you know, we could go into all sort of, you know, things that might a baby, reasons why a baby not might not be nursing well, but in general, if you have a baby that's nursing well, gaining weight, then yes, the more you breastfeed, your body will make what that baby needs. It gets tricky though when you have a mom that's going back to work because mm-hmm. there's a lot of other factors at play. And really for moms that are going back to work, they it's really important that you are counting the number of milk removals that you have in 24 hours. Uh-huh. So a common scenario that I see a lot is that so they will wake up with the baby, they'll nurse the baby in the morning, they'll go to work, pump a couple times at work, maybe two or three times at work, 
they'll pick up the baby, nurse the baby. And then let's say, then they'll nurse one more time before bed. Mm-hmm. That's only one, three, four. That's only five milk removals. What if the baby's sleeping through the night? Mm-hmm. Five milk removals is not enough. At what sustain. point? Yeah, I guess at what point is it not enough? Like at what point is it enough? So that really depends on your milk storage capacity. But when we have like an, like I, I it's hard to explain because when we have a scenario where the baby's not there driving mm-hmm. the supply and now you have to be in charge of the supply, mm-hmm. um, you know, we re- you really need about eight milk removals in 24 hours. And that's pretty much for most every mom throughout that first year of life. I am loving ready to eat meals in this season of life. Things are really busy over here with a toddler and a newborn, and I don't always want to be focusing on meal planning and ordering groceries. Factors, fresh, never frozen meals are chef crafted and dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. There's zero prep and zero mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup involved. And holy moly, do I need that right now. I also love that I can order as much or as little as I need by choosing my meals every week, and I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, restaurant-quality meals with no cooking required, and there are more than 60 add-ons, like pancakes and smoothies, to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Head to factormeals.com slash village50 and use code village50 to get 50% off. That's code village50 at factormeals.com slash village50 to get 50% off. With spring on the horizon, but not quite here yet in Vermont, I've been looking for simple ways to give my body the energy boost it needs and keep up with healthy habits, especially on those tired mornings when I'm just feeling drained. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel more energized and ready to take on the day. It's a morning ritual that gives me peace of mind and then I'm getting comprehensive nutrition that supports my immune system and keeps me going all day. As a parent of two amazing kids, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so that I can continue to show up for the moments that matter. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm jazzed to welcome them as a new sponsor. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and 5 free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com village. That's drinkag1.com village. Check it out. Okay. That, well, that's helpful to know, like yeah. for the first year to have eight. Yeah. Because uh, from a sleep perspective, well, which we diving into on your podcast, Mm -hmm. they can sleep through the night theoretically earlier than that first year for sure. So I guess then like, how do you fit those in? When I worked, I worked in an infant classroom for a long time as a teacher in an infant room. 
I, a lot of my moms would feed right at drop-off. And then we had, we used an app and I was on a college campus. So um, moms could see when their baby had eaten last. So they could pop down and feed throughout the day if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And even if they couldn't, they would feed when they picked up and then go home. But I, that's so interesting thinking about it in terms of like getting in eight. Does it really matter like how spread out they are? You know, it really depends on how far postpartum you are and, you know, really your milk storage capacity. So a good example is, so for me personally, with my children, um, my, I, when I pump, I get about five ounces. Mm -hmm. Like if I go to work and I pump, I get five ounces. That number for me never really changes. Hmm. So my so I know that my storage capacity is about five ounces I can hold in both breasts. Um, but for me to sustain that amount, I have to pump more frequently. Uh-huh. Um, some women that have a really large milk storage capacity might be able to pump like eight, four ounces. Some might be able to pump two ounces. It really depends on how much milk your breasts will hold. But moms with larger milk storage capacity find that they sometimes can go a little bit longer than those, you know four and five hour stretches without it negatively affecting their supply. That's very interesting. I didn't realize that like, I guess that there were different milk storage capacities. Yeah. You literally could just hold different amounts of milk. I'm assuming that has nothing to do with breast size, just to clear up. It doesn't. Okay. No, it does not have anything. So women that are large chested may have a very small milk storage capacity. It just depends on that, like how much glandular tissue that they have. A lot of large breasted women might have just like more fat tissue versus glandular tissue. But if anybody's interested in learning more about the milk storage capacity, there's an article called The Magic Number by Nancy Moorbacher, and you can find that very easily by Googling it. It's a really informative and fascinating look at what it really means to find your magic milk removal number. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really encourage moms to read that if they are wanting to know more information about that. It is interesting. So... uh essentially some moms literally just might have to breastfeed more frequently because of what they can hold just is what it is. Yeah. That's that's a bummer for some folks. It is. And I will say a little backstory, a little side story, like a personal story is that with my first son, I struggled with supply. I mean, one of the reasons I'm so passionate is because I had like every problem in the book you could possibly think of. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like doing the triple feeding and pumping and for so long and I suffered with low supply almost my entire breastfeeding journey with him but I also fought like every I always had this some moms can probably relate like where the baby's crying and hung like you're like but I just fed him Mm -hmm. but I just fed him he can't be hungry I spent a lot of my first year just like fighting it and um, something really magical happened after that experience when I had my second, I just kind of learned to trust my body more. Mm. And just if the baby needs to feed, he needs to feed. You know, breastfeeding can be more than just milk, it's more than just hunger, it's about comforting. If the baby's crying and upset, put him to the breast. Put him, I just say, put him to the breast, put him to the breast. That's going to ensure that you have an ample milk supply. And that personally for me, it was like a huge mental shift that happened that really um, 
it kind of got rid of all of the insecurities I had about how much milk I could hold or how often, like I'm not a mom that can go six or seven hours and then pump 16 ounces. Like that is just not my body. And so, um, so that was a shift for me that I think that a lot of moms struggle with just that mental like mind game about feeding their babies. Yeah, no, I think that's so helpful to hear the personal story too. And almost like mourning that like, oh, that's not how my body is going to work. And I have to kind of grieve that, that, that idea that I'd had and what it would be like. It's huge. When do you recommend starting to pump? So if you're going back to work, I'm assuming. Yeah, I, it just said when do you rec- when when's the recommended time for pumping to start? So I would say going back to work or like like if, if you, you just want to be able to leave your kid and know that they can have a food source if you're not there. You know, honestly, this is my opinion on this has changed over time. I personally just think whenever you feel like you can add a little pumping in. Um that could even be like a few days after birth. If you want to start pumping, you can pump. I don't necessarily think that it is not like a lot of people worry like, oh, I'm going to build up. Like, I don't want to have an oversupply. Mm. I have seen so many moms with low milk supply and I know oversupplies can be also a curse, (laughs) but if you want to start pumping early, just add a pump in here and there. It's not a big deal is how I kind of feel about that. Um, One of the new great inventions that has come since I have had my first baby is the, it's like a silicone hand pump. It's like called the Haka. Um, And that allows for like passive suction. And that is a wonderful way for moms to collect milk early on without actually having to pump. So it goes on the other side while they're breastfeeding. And it kind of catches the milk and keeps suction on it and collects passive milk, like milk passively. So you're not actively pumping. Right. Yeah. Bryn Humphammer talks a lot about her usage of it. Um, I think she actually talked about it in her podcast episode here, but we'll link to it again in the, in the blog post for this. It's awesome. When we're looking at pumping, so you said when you're back to work and we're looking for eight total times that we're extracting milk what I don't know the right words to use like there. milk removals yeah, yeah milk removal milk removal does it matter if it's pumping or feeding from the breast like if you feed your kid before they go to sleep and then you pump before you go to sleep does it matter Mm-mm. okay cool yeah yeah as long as you're removing milk whether it's by pumping even hand expression I'm like a big proponent of hand expression and mom's learning hand expression, even if it's just doing a little hand expression that is going to, um, like count as a milk removal. Okay, cool. Ooh, this one, I feel like you already answered a little bit, but I'm excited that somebody asked it. When do you recommend seeing an IBCLC? Seeing an IBCLC. So there are so many times that might be appropriate for an IBCLC, but if you in the beginning, especially if you are having nipple damage, if you have a non-latching baby, if you are having any questions about breastfeeding, call an IBCLC. You know, I, it's funny to me because we go to the doctors when we're sick, we take our baby to the pediatrician to 
make sure that they're doing well and that they're growing. If you have a problem, call the expert for that problem. So agree more. Yeah. So call, <laughs> call an IBCLC. Um, and, and I tell moms too, to find one before you have your baby, ask that. around, um, go to a breastfeeding support group prenatally and kind of make those connections before the baby comes. Cause it'll make it a lot less stressful when you do need that help. Also though, uh, going back to work is another reason to see mm-hmm. an IBCLC just to make sure that you have a good plan in place. Yeah, that's awesome. And Bryn has like through the birth hour, that back to work breastfeeding course. Actually Mm -hmm. a few of our moms have taken and reported that was awesome and really helpful for them. And I also think like when we're looking at, as you said, like reach out to the expert, the message here is that you don't have to have all the answers and you don't have to do it alone, right? Like we tell people you'll have this mother's instinct and you'll know what to do and you'll know how to whatever. And I think it's BS, to be honest. I think that we then, in saying that, are just putting pressure on people to have all the answers, and you don't have to, and you won't, and to tap into your village. Uh, That's what they're there for. Yeah. Cool. So you chatted about this a little bit, but sore nipples was a hot topic. Mm -hmm. One person was like, "Am, am I supposed to have sore nipples? Like, I get it. My baby's feeding from them? Uh, What do I do about them? At what point is it an area of concern? Right. So sore nipples versus like nipple damage, that's really two different things. So it is very common for moms to have some soreness, even a little bit of pain, or some people describe it as like a, like a sharp, like, like stinging that can occur when that newborn latches on for the first couple seconds. Um, We like to see that kind of dissipating over the course of the feed. If you are breastfeeding for the entire feed and it's painful for the entire feed, or if you have nipple damage, so like cuts, open areas, sores, scabbing, those are all reasons to seek more help because that is, we want to, figure out what's going on. We don't want nipple damage is not normal. Are there any like nipple creams or things that you recommend that you've used um, just for like any chafing or whatever? Yeah, I really love some sort of like um, food-based nipple cream. So um, Mother Love nipple cream or Earth Mama Angel Baby makes one, coconut oil, but coconut oil can be drying for some people. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just depends if you like that yourself. Anything like that. A lot of people want to buy the lanolin, which I personally don't ever recommend lanolin because it really doesn't have any like soothing healing properties. It's really a moisturizer. Mm. So if you are trying to find something that's going to help soothe and heal, I would say pick something that has um, some of those ingredients like the like Mother Love or like Earth Mama Angel Baby. I think there's a few other companies that make some, but yeah, they're all very similar. We'll link to those in the blog post as well. How do I know if my latch is good? So the key to a good latch, <laughs> that's like the question, right? Everyone wants to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so a latch for me is a latch that's not painful and a latch that you're comfortable and a latch that the baby's getting lots of milk. All right, so, that's fair. Yeah. So it's, there's so many pictures you see like, oh, that latch, it's like perfect. Look at it. They're both lips are flanged and 
it looks picture perfect and it's nice and deep on the breast, but you know, some babies don't have a perfect latch and they still get a lot of milk and mom is comfortable. So those are, so don't obsess over how the latch looks as much as if you're comfortable, is the baby getting milk? Perfect. Breastfeeding and alcohol and caffeine. What are the rules? <laughs> what can we do? Oh God. Well, alcohol, that's a big one. It's Mom's a topic. Yeah. Moms and coffee, caffeine too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So alcohol, you know, I definitely don't think a lot of moms think they need to pump and dump. Um, My motto is if you're safe to drive, you're safe to breastfeed. So if you're not safe to drive, don't breastfeed your baby, just pump and, you know, dump that milk, but you definitely still want to remove your milk. Most moms in that first year of life are not typically going out and getting wasted. Right. <laughs> right. So it's not usually a problem for most moms. A glass or two of wine or whatever right. you want is usually fine. Cool. And coffee? Uh, coffee. So there's a lot of controversy about this one. I believe the literature says, studies have said that, you know, it's perfectly fine. And I don't know what the exact like milligrams of caffeine Mm -hmm. is that's Mm -hmm. safe off the top of my head. Um, If you go to kellymom.com, that is a wonderful resource and they probably have all the links to that literature, but I drink a lot of coffee. (laughs) So I like it. (laughs) It's hard for me to tell moms like, don't drink coffee. That's really a personal choice. How does your baby react? Mm -hmm. Is your baby never sleeping? You might want to look at coffee. Right. Um, well, and I think like everything in moderation in life. Right. Right. Some babies do have a negative effect and moms mm-hmm. find that when they cut it out, things are better Then that's great. But I would not worry about it too much. Sweet. And really the benefits of you maybe being more alert or awake as a parent might outweigh the negative. Exactly. <laughs> what is the difference between a lactation counselor and an IBCLC? So... A lactation counselor and IBCLC, really the education is just different. Um, IBCLCs, just what I would say is the gold standard. They've received the most comprehensive education. And that is not to say that if you need help and a lactation counselor is available and that's who you can find, you should still see them. You know, they are very knowledgeable and they've probably really passionate about breastfeeding and they can probably help find somebody an IBCLC if they can't you know help you there is a scope of practice that for each type of um like education I would say and so if you are a lactation counselor you should know your scope of practice mm-hmm. um but for really complicated breastfeeding problems you should probably see an IBCLC but definitely the difference would be the education. Are they both covered by insurance or is it more so IBCLC over lactation counselor? You know, I am not a hundred percent sure. I think that if a lactation counselor is working like within a, like a clinic or something like that, Mm -hmm. then it it might be covered. Um, There's still a lot of like discrepancies between what gets covered Mm -hmm. uh, for lactation support so you really would just have to find out from your insurance company. Got it. 
Also, when you said insurance company, it made me think of Aeroflow. Just give yeah. a plug real quick. Um, do you want to speak to like what they do and, and how they can help mamas? Yeah. So I will say Aeroflow does sponsor the first latch. So I want to oh, give nice. that disclosure. But um, Aeroflow Breast Pumps is basically an online resource for moms where they can actually just go to this website, plug in their information, and Aeroflow will go and find out what's covered under your insurance company. They basically do all the back-end work for you and then send you your the pump that you choose. Awesome. They Yeah, they work with a, tons of insurance companies. And if they aren't working with your insurance company, they can usually guide you in the direction of like where you need to reach out to. So it's a pretty good um, resource for moms, especially, you know, we're so busy. That, right. And it's free, right? Yeah. Yep. It's awesome. Um, all right. The last village question that we got, it's about nutrients and immunity from that standpoint. When is it okay to wean? So before we kind of dive into this, I want to put out a disclaimer that you can choose to breastfeed or not choose to breastfeed. Like it's okay to wean whenever you want to wean right. um, from an emotional development standpoint. But if we're looking at like nutrients and immunity, I think the question was more like when are kiddos maybe not getting as much uh, from, from breast milk? Right. So the, um, well, the World Health Organization says that, that babies should be breastfed for two years and then or beyond whatever is mutually desired. Mm-hmm. Uh, the APA, which is the American Academy of Pediatrics, says a minimum of 12 months, so six months exclusive, and then you add in some you know, foods, mm-hmm. solid foods, and 12 months. And that's a recent change, actually, that they um, changed their stance on that. But ideally, you would want your, your baby breastfed for a year to gain the most nutrients that they can. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I like to say food before one is just for fun. So they really need some sort of nutritive um, formula, breast milk, something for that first year at a minimum. I say any breastfeeding is great. And the one thing I want to say is that breastfeeding doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm. Babies are still going to get nutrients from your breast milk, whether or not they're partially breastfed or not. They're going to get immune properties you know, whether they're partially breastfed or partially formula fed, um, any little bit is really wonderful. Um, but obviously if they are getting just breast milk, they are going to get the most, they're going to get a lot extra nutrients and that sort of thing. So it sounds like about a year is the goal. And then if you want to keep going two years or beyond, like cheers to you. Yeah. And also, I mean, they're babies still get, um, all sorts of benefits from breast milk beyond one year. So yeah. that's, it doesn't just stop. At, right. They're like, like oh, first birthday. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't just stop. So as long as you want to breastfeed, um, you know, your baby is still going to get those, you know, if nothing but emotional benefits. Yeah. Well, and we talk a little bit about um, in our, I think in our coping uh, episode and in Pat in the pacifiers episode that we had with our SLP, on breastfeeding also as a coping mechanism mm-hmm. and at what point to start substituting in coping strategies that are long-term so that when right. you stop breastfeeding, that kid has tools in their toolbox to find their calm and cope 
because that's it's not going to go on forever and it's an awesome coping mechanism to use when we have infants and then it, but then beyond that to build these coping strategies for kids so that we're not just like oop the breast is gone good luck right <laughs> good luck with that right. feeling yes uh, kind of keep that in mind but uh, i also i want to dive into a very controversial hashtag topic fed is best because i for a couple reasons i First of all, I heard a fact that you can tell me is maybe not a fact if I'm wrong um, a while ago that I was like, holy moly, that's so cool. Um, that saliva from the baby goes into your nipple and your body, the mom's body or the breastfeeding parent's body will change the milk to meet the baby's needs. So I was like, holy cow. Well, then obviously like breast milk is really important if that's a true fact. That is a true fact. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, Especially when they're exposed to like viruses and stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. That's so huge. And obviously that's something we can't get with formula. And also really for me that I think that it's not solving the problem of we, we know statistically speaking that most women want to breastfeed and maybe aren't reaching their goals. And so yes. then there's shame around formula, which is obviously a whole lot of BS, but, uh, I instead want to look at if moms want to, or breastfeeding parents want to breastfeed, how do we get the correct supports and information to folks rather than saying fed is best, like there's no shame here. Let's actually treat the root of the problem because that person probably still has unprocessed emotions about not being able to breastfeed. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I actually did an episode on my podcast on the first latch podcast about this specific topic. It's really controversial. And so it's hard to talk about without getting like a lot of backlash because, mm -hmm. you know, your experience is going to be cut, like your thoughts and feelings on this topic are going to be colored by your experience, whether it was a breastfeeding experience or whether it was a formula feeding experience or whatever happened, you're going to have that filter. Mm -hmm. So it's a hard topic to talk about. Um, and I think th there's two things with the Fed is best. Um, the first one is there is actually an organiza organization called Fed is best. And that I just want to differentiate is not what we're talking right. about the hashtag. Um, cause we could go into that, but what we're talking about is the Fed is best, um, like hashtag that people use that and I think from the heart of it, it, it comes off as, you know, being all-encompassing, supportive to anybody, like support mm -hmm. all moms, right? Um, but when we look at, like you mentioned, um, we know that most moms want to breastfeed and uh, most moms aren't meeting, you know, that goal. You know, 80% of moms leave the hospital breastfeeding. That's a lot. That is a lot. Um, and uh, most of them don't meet their breastfeeding goals. So when you say fed is best, it really is a nonsensical term because fed is expected. Right. <laughs> like, right. We expect you to feed your child. Right. Like whether it's formula, whether it's breast milk, whether it's a mix of both. And it really, it really doesn't help anybody meet their goals. It's not, it's supportive. It's not supportive in the way of like figuring out how like how to help these moms. And really, mm -hmm. and it's, and this is where I think I get a lot of backlash is, and, and I, and I said this in my podcast episode about this, but I think a lot of women, whether they like to talk about it or not, are, 
are really sad and upset if they don't meet their breastfeeding goals. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the term fed is best is really just like a, like a cover term Mm -hmm. to help them feel better emotionally about whatever happened in their journey. Yeah, for sure. Temporarily feel better, right? Like it's like turning to a coping mechanism. Well, fed is best. Right. And which is, you know, that's okay if that's what people need, need to do. But I don't think undermining the needed support for women who do want to meet their breastfeeding goals. Right. Women also like often will say, um, this is what I see a lot. I see a lot of moms in like uh, online support groups or Facebook groups, and they'll talk about how um, they're struggling so much and how like they, this is all the things that they've done. Um, and they need help, or maybe they they're just fed up. Women will just their response will be, "Well, fed is best. Like, don't worry. We're trying to make her feel better, which is great. But I don't think that that necessarily like maybe she really does want to keep going, and she's right. just having a bad day." Yeah. Well, and we're giving, this is the difference between sympathy and empathy. When we sympathize with somebody, it's not validating. If we want to validate somebody's emotion, we empathize with like meeting them where they are, not trying to stop them from feeling to make us feel comfortable, but instead meeting them and saying like, that really sucks that you're having a hard day. Like it's so Mm -hmm. frustrating when you want to have X, Y, and Z happen and this is what's happening, right? Like validating where they are and um, then going from there. But I I agree that I think the Fed is best is a form of sympathy to make people stop expressing their emotion for our own comfort uh, instead of empathizing with their discomfort right now. It's It's okay to feel disappointed and we've got to be okay with somebody else's disappointment right now. Yeah, no, I love that comparison. I've not used that like sympathize versus empathize. I love that. Hmm, Thanks. It's a lot of my work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, that covers all of our questions for today. Is there anything that you would like to leave folks with as a message? Yeah. You know, my, my work and what I've really, um, what first latched the community on Instagram was kind of founded on was the idea that every mom should celebrate their journey no matter what it looks like. And breastfeeding doesn't have to be all or nothing. I like to say that because we focus on these beautiful breastfeeding journeys all the time, but they don't all look the same. So I just really want to empower women to look at their own journeys and really celebrate what they've gone through and all the hard work they've done, no matter if it was one day, one week, one year, because your journey is important and, and you should really celebrate that. So that's the one thing I want to leave moms with today. I love that. Can you let folks know where they can follow you, connect with you, tune in, all that jazz? Yeah. So I am on Instagram at first latch. That's pretty much the only place I am uh, social media wise. You can um, find the podcast, the first latch podcast, um, anywhere you find your podcast from my website is the first latch.net. And 
also, if you, I do offer e-consultations. So if you are having any breastfeeding problems, you can visit, I do that through lactation link. So, which is another wonderful, I'm going to give a little plug for them Yeah, is another um, great Instagram community to follow. Um, but you can book any appointments with me there at lactationlink.com slash Barbara Dembski. We'll link to all those in the blog post as well. And then also if anybody, if you snag our sleep course or you come across anything that is seed and so related where we are recommending or we're even talking about breastfeeding or we're, you know, chatting about sleep and breastfeeding, any of that, mm -hmm. uh, you'll encounter uh, Barb's link when you come across that so that we can send you right to her. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It was so fun. So delightful. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.